Welcome to a special edition of the Lab of Global Leaders podcast. Here is our special guest host, Dr. Anis Abdul Hamid. We are pleased to have with us today, Dr. Leong Chion. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you. Thank you for having me here. Dr. Leong, in your own words, could you tell us about yourself, who you are and what you do? Uh, I'm basically a cancer biologist. Uh, I did my PhD uh, at the University of Nottingham in UK. Then after that, uh, I did my postdoctoral uh, fellowship at the Harvard Medical School. And then I came back to uh, Malaysia and then I joined the International uh, Medical University. I have been working at IMU for uh, 13 years. So before I quit my job early this year, I was the uh, professor in cell and, uh, cell and molecular biology over there and also the deputy director of research uh, at IMU. Uh, currently, uh, I'm the CEO of uh, HGTC Genomics, which is a new uh, technology uh, startups that focus on developing uh, genomic solutions. Thank you. Um, so, Chion, could you describe the organizational structure of your company to us, please? Okay, currently our, well, currently our company is uh, very small. So we only have about like 10 staff. So five of them are scientists and the other five is uh, corporate staff, including like marketing and business development. So uh, on the scientist side, we have a chief scientist, uh, which is Dr. Tan, uh, Dr. Tan Chiling from uh, Singapore. Well, we actually recruited her uh, from Singapore. She's a Malaysian. So, and then uh, below her, then that's where the lab scientists, we have uh, another Dr. Tan, Dr. Tan Bunxing, uh, who is actually the head of the advanced genomic labs that overlook the uh, operation of the whole genomic lab. So on the corporate side, we have the uh, head of the marketing as well as the head of the business development. So these are the two units that will help us to uh, expand and also uh, market and also create awareness about this technology. Okay. Could you explain to us the role of genomics currently in Malaysia and the region and globally? Right. I think uh, genomics in Malaysia is still uh, quite new, basically. So part of the reason being is that I think whenever when we talk about genomics or even precision medicine uh, uh, to start with, the first thing that comes into mind is that it is very expensive and, and uh, it is very technical. So, but actually over the years, uh, this has changed quite a lot globally. In fact, if you look at uh, genomic testing these days uh, in overseas, for example, in US, UK, and other developed country, so it becoming like one of the mainstream uh, tests for diagnostic as well as for uh, precision health and also wellness as well. So it, it, it's actually becoming more and more common now. But in Malaysia, I think uh, there are still a lot of awareness that's needed. Uh, from the clinics, uh, 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 from the clinician side as well as from the patients, so that they understand what the genomics can do actually when it comes to uh, diagnosing, for example, rare diseases, or even more important for cancer treatment. 
whereby you can actually use the genomics uh, technology to identify the cancer driver mutations, which can have the implications in uh, clinical treatment when we want to decide what kind of drugs that we want to use. Interesting. What are your challenges and what excites you in this field of genomics? Right. Um, maybe I will start with the excitement first. So I think the first thing uh, about genomics is that, well, uh, for the first time, I mean, I was a researcher before, so we have used this uh, in, in, in R&D. But now that we are actually seeing and also trying to introduce this into the real life uh, practice, this is what uh, translational research is all about. When we are using this technology from the bed, uh, well, I mean, from the bench to bedside, then suddenly you see a lot of the possibility. Now, for example, in cancer management, so we used to just treat uh, the patients based on very limited markers. For example, uh, in breast cancer, um, then we probably just based on the hormonal receptor, estrogen receptor, progesterone receptor, or the HER2 uh, receptor uh, uh, positivity. And then from there, then we decide what kind of treatment to give. Now, with the genomics, however, now for the first time, we actually have the capability to look at more than 500 over cancer driver mutations. And these are mutations that have been known and have been well studied uh, that can actually cause um, uh, cancer. And when we do that kind of study and suddenly, you know, a disease like a triple negative breast cancer, which is, which is conventionally very difficult to treat because of lack of uh, drug options. So as hormonal therapy is not going to work and then Herceptin is not going to work as well. So most of the time, these patients have to go for conventional chemotherapy, which is uh, have a lot of side effects. So, but with the uh, comprehensive gene profiling and the genomics, what we can do now is that when we profile all the 500 over gene mutations, we can actually identify additional mutations which are not commonly being tested in the clinics. And by knowing that kind of mutations, now you can actually use the drugs that could target a particular mutations to actually achieve a better outcome. So these are some of the things that will open the door for many other possibilities. Hopefully it will uh, be well adopt, uh, adopted in the clinics. So when I see this kind of things that could actually happen in, in, in Malaysia, so this is something that, you know, keep us excited and really keep us motivated. So like every day we will try to make sure that these things can be done effectively, efficiently. And the most important thing is that can make this kind of technology much more affordable. This has been the uh, soul and also the, uh, the, the, the value of the company that we are trying to do basically to make precision medicine uh, much more affordable. We know that precision medicine saves life, but we want to make it much more affordable to the Malaysian. Now, in terms of challenges, basically, the first thing that we face is actually the skilled workers. Uh, because this technology is relatively new in Malaysia, so getting the uh, skilled workers and also the scientists to actually work on this uh, technology is actually uh, very limited uh, options because uh, uh, we don't have many people that actually have the hands-on uh, uh, experience in working with uh, next generation sequencing, for example. So, so these are some, some of the hiccups that we face uh, in the early phase. Uh, 
but luckily, I think while we have some really, really motivated uh, scientists, so uh, two PhDs and also three uh, fresh undergraduates. So all of them are very curious, okay, and also very dynamic. So within the few months, so gone through different type of training locally and also uh, from overseas. And now that I would say that they are highly competent to actually run this kind of sophisticated test. Not only running the lab test, but actually also analyzing the data. So basically they are like carrying the role from the lab scientists and all the way to be, you know, uh, data analytics and also bioinformatician as well. So, so they are basically carrying on the whole process. Now they know the whole process inside out. And this is something that I think, uh, um, well, Malaysian are really, really great because they can really learn very fast. So, so that gives us a lot of confidence that I think uh, in near future, this kind of challenge, hopefully we can overcome it. And hopefully we will be able to provide uh, more opportunity uh, for university students to actually uh, learn these techniques as well. That's wonderful. So this will, it partially answered what I wanted to ask you next is like, how do you inspire others while keeping yourself inspired about your organization's mission? Hmm. Well, I think um, the, I would say that, well, the most critical part is uh, finding the right candidate. That would be a good start. So um, different people obviously have different interests. They have different objectives. They have different purpose. So if you find the right candidate with the, with share the same purpose as you, that basically uh, make your life uh, much easier because things are easier as long as we our purpose is aligned on the first day I think uh, uh, well getting well going to work every day become an excitement rather than a stressful day so so this is something very important especially coming from the uh, as a tech startup point of view is that every day is different and we need a team that is really really dynamic and also adaptable so and adaptability is very important so I guess um, my, my challenge now is basically to make sure that uh, every day that they got some challenge to actually solve, because I think these are the people that are really high performers. So they, if, if it is too routine, I'm afraid that they might feel bored. So <laughs> yeah, I guess what I would say is that uh, by finding the right candidate, you, you actually already, uh, solve 50 percent uh, of, of, of the problem you know trying very hard to inspire your staff right so I think if, if they if the if they share the same purpose I don't think we need to do a lot of things about uh, in, inspiring so it just to make sure that they are happy every day that have been my um, main job description basically my job as a CEO is to make sure that the staff is happy coming to work every day a happy work environment is the goal for most of us. What would you advise on someone considering to pursue a career in biomedicine or genomics? Mm -hmm. So I think um, the most important thing that I see a lot of the uh, graduates from biomedicine or even uh, students who enter into biomedicine is that, well, uh, you got to really have a right uh, mindset. So, and be ready to what you expect because as a lab scientist or biomedicine, for example, even though that we don't face patients uh, every day, for example, 
But we have to realize is that the results that we generate are actually can influence the diagnosis and also the treatment of the patients. So um, when I was a young graduate, I remember you know, when, when, when I went to the uh, uh, industry internship, the first thing that I was told is that, you know, every seconds or every minute that we can run the sample quicker, we will make the life of a patient less suffer for that amount of time. So meaning is that whatever we do and whatever the graduates and, uh, and, and the biomedical scientists do, really do have an impact to the life of the patient. So, well, that's why I always emphasize is that, well, when you are in the healthcare sectors, so sometimes uh, we can't complain too much about that. You, you know, like, like, like I, I want to, I, I, I want the weekend off and things like that. Yes, work-life balance is important, but sometimes, okay, we also have to think uh, from the, point of view is that the patients that we are serving, so they require the results, okay, uh, soon so that they can actually uh, get the treatment and, 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 and soon. So, so these are some, some balance that I think uh, it needs to be uh, balanced up. Now, another thing that I think um, very important to point out is that the biomedical field is fast growing. So the trends are changing very, very fast. Now that with the genomics coming in, with the AI, artificial intelligence coming in, and with the big data coming in. So the conventional biomedical and also molecular biology science uh, have made a dramatic change over the, the years. And this is something I want, I, I would, uh, why well, I would remind all the graduates and also the, the, the practitioner is that, Beware of the competency trap. Now, we, when we train a graduate, we always emphasize on competency. While you must be able to do task A, task B, task C very well, you train and retrain and until you become perfect, then you have that competence. But the problem of it is that when you go out to work, so you tend to do or repeat the works that you've done very, very well. Right, so, so, so this is very uh, natural because we, if we do task A very good, so whenever the task A come, we will be able to take it and then we would like to do it again and again and make it better and better. But the challenge of it is that because as I say, the, the biomedical field is, is growing very, very fast. So you also need to be aware what are the trends and what are the technology that is outside. If you are not careful, you might be very good in doing the things that you have been doing all this while, but forget about the rest of the world have actually moved into a different direction. When you wake up one day and then suddenly you realize is that the task that you perform very well is no longer needed. So because the technology have replaced that or the technology have actually moved the field all the way to a different direction, then you will start to realize that, well, well, you are running in the circle while other people is actually running forward. So these are the competency trap I think uh, the biomedical scientists uh, need to be aware of. I can share with you is that I used to do a lot of cloning, but today actually those techniques are almost become obsolete because the lab uh, research actually do need to do cloning anymore. Every, anytime if you want to do the cloning, you can just put it into a gene synthesizer 
put in the nucleotide, you know, the, the genetic code, and the automated machine will actually synthesize the genes that you wanted. You ever, you don't actually need to clone anymore. So the techniques and the skill set do have an expiry date. So just be aware of that. It's important, I think, for us to be able to move out of our comfort zone and go into the learning and growth zone in this field as it's ever changing. I, I, I believe that's, that's how we should move forward. Okay. Is there anything um, that you do in your personal time that helps you be a leader in your own career right now? Well, I think as you rightly pointed out, uh, learning is very important. Never stop uh, learning. So, well, even though you are you are you are already an expert in certain field, is that's always good to venture into other fields as well. Sometimes things and also innovation come by you know when you uh, join two fields together or different knowledge together then the new innovation will come so i think uh, as a leader the most important thing is basically you need to be aware of yourself you need to be aware of your strength your weakness and the most important part is that the purpose what is the purpose of you doing things what are the purpose of the company that you set up that will basically form the identity. Once you have that identity, then things are becoming clearer to yourself. I mean, you, I mean, as the leader, you need to have a very clear mind because other people will look up to you. If you also do not have the clear mind, so don't expect other people would be able to understand what you want to do. So if you can't convince yourself, it will be very, very difficult to convince others. So I think, that is the thing that I think each leader need to uh, really, really sit down, you know, take some time off from time to time to really refocus, reflect and see what is the purpose of the existence of the company? What is the purpose of uh, the action that you've taken? So these are very important uh, for other people to actually understand. Thank you. Yeah, that, that's, that's very helpful. It's, um, I think this really comes down to, to being open to learning all the time, constantly, whether it's our field or others, because you never know when it's just going to come and come together and, you know, merge and, and just work out for the best. Okay, what level of growth do you hope to see in the next five years in your field? Sorry, what level of what? Growth. What level of growth oh, do you hope to okay. see in the next five years? Well, I hope that um, more public and also uh, more uh, medical or healthcare professional um, would be more aware of this technology. So, I mean, genomics is not something really really that new so i mean it has been uh uh piloted it has been uh shown or demonstrated their impact in the healthcare in other country so the i would see that uh, malaysia have a great potential in 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 being the next genomic hub in in southeast asia or in the world in fact uh honestly speaking because malaysia is basically blessed with uh, our own biodiversity as well as our ethnic group, we are multiracial. 
So that is very limited place uh, on earth that you can actually find so many different ethnic groups uh, within one particular uh, 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 country or the region. So this, this is very important because when it comes to understanding uh, human genetics, I think the diversity is very, very important. And Malaysia haven't actually ventured much or haven't actually uh, realized this potential. If we can actually uh, realize this potential, I think uh, Malaysia can have a great impact in terms of, you know, developing the next generation of diagnostic as well as uh, drug treatment as well. So those are on the research side. I think genomics would be a driving force to help us discover much more new things, to help us uh, build more basic and fundamental knowledge about our own self as well as the population and also the biology sphere. Now, but on the clinical and the practice side, I think um, I, I would like to see that more clinician and more hospital would be able to, to adopt this technology. As I mentioned, the cost of this technology is becoming um, decreasing. For example, you might probably uh, uh, spend, you know, hundreds or thousands of ringgit to do a test of two or three biomarkers. With the same amount of money, you can probably now, instead of looking two or three biomarkers, you might be able to look at, for example, hundreds of 200 or few hundreds biomarkers. So this is something that what the technology can offer. So uh, instead of, well, 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 instead of uh, looking at just a very limited biomarkers and then we make a decision and, and that will limit the accuracy uh, when it comes to diagnosis. So I think uh, when we get more and more data and more and more uh, genomics uh, technology out there, I hope that the cost of precision medicine will drop even further because it's a chicken and egg thing. So if we can get more, okay, it's, 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 it's the economy of scale, right? So if you get more people are using it, then the cost will drop faster. If you don't have many people using it, then the cost will be extremely, extremely high. So, so these are something I hope that one day uh, everyone will be able to afford, you know, uh, a genetic test or, or precision oncology when it comes to uh, disease diagnosis and treatment. I'm curious, because I work in a government mm. hospital. So how do we bridge mm. the gap between, you know, like the government side being aware these tests are available and whether it can be used for patients receiving treatment in the government sector? Well, I have spoken to some of the uh, government uh, oncologists. I think that they are aware because they have been attending uh, international conference or local conference. And if you look at international conference, if, if they go to, uh, uh, let's say, ESCO or, or, or even the Malaysian uh, uh, Oncology Society conference, right, you will see a lot of people are already talking about it. So I think the awareness is there. But there are two factors that probably prohibits the wide adoption of this technology. One of it is obviously the cost. The cost, including uh, capex, you know, like capital uh, expenditure, you need to set up a state-of-the-art genomic labs to actually do that. That is one thing. The second thing is that the testing cost. The testing cost also sometimes, uh, well, they might think that it is actually very expensive. But if you set up the right 
facilities and the right equipment with the right people, the cost, the testing cost can actually come down quite dramatically. So I think, um, yes, for, for the government hospital, I think the cost is, is, is one important factor. So um, I would like to see, for example, okay, uh, PPP, uh, private public uh, partnership happen more often. Uh, for example, okay, some of the investment can come from the private uh, uh, company who set up the facilities. So then when, when the facilities is set up, then you know, running the service uh, then can be much more efficient basically. Again, well, if, if, well if, if let's say the government is the one that actually uh, engaged the service, then you can actually set all kinds of criteria to the private, right? You know, like at how much you, the, the private, uh, that, uh, uh, at how much of the cost that you want um, the, 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 the private sector to charge, for example. So, so a lot of specification can be set up. So instead of setting up a facilities and technology moves very fast. So five years, machine, if you do not use it, the technology, if you do not use it, it might become obsolete as well. So especially if you are talking about genomics technology. So that's the cost part. The second part is that uh, I think um, is the concern and also is the worry about, okay, let's say if I have sequenced this 500 cancer mutations, or if I sequence the whole genome, how am I going to deal with the data, right? So that, 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 that would be a huge amount of data, no doubt about it. So, but the good news about it is that, well, there are already solutions, there are existing solutions that uh, other hospital, for example, Mayo Clinic, uh, Mass General Hospital, and, and, and other uh, international uh, hospitals, there are already software that you can actually use. These are well-developed following international standard guideline reporting software that could actually help you to sift through all the massive amount of data and come up with a really clinically relevant uh, interpretation of the genome. So when you look at the report, honestly, most of the time, uh, even if you sequence, you know, 500, uh, 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 cancer driver mutations, the report that come back will probably be one page that highlight what are the mutations that have been detected and what is the implication or, or how can you actually use this information. For example, they will even come up with recommendation of the drug treatment that might be able to target this mutation, for example. So it becoming very streamlined now. It's no longer like five years or, or, or three years ago, whereby the interpretation is a major problem. I think nowadays the interpretation is becoming much and much uh, standardized. So that I think will help the industry and help the adoption of this technology. Because with the standardization, right, whether you test it in Malaysia or you test it in the United States or you, you send the sample to test in Australia, you will get back the same result. Then the question is that why can't you just test it in Malaysia? Right. That's true. If if we are producing reproducible results with same quality, why not you know mm. start it in the uh, in our own backyard? Okay. Um, Chian, as we come to a close, is there anyone you'd like to thank that has been a positive influence in your journey thus far? Well, yeah, I think uh definitely my family. I think uh 
Well, my wife has been with me uh, with all and supportive with all my decision. So some, some of it are not panning out very well, but some of it okay. But a, a big decision move, things like, for example, you know, uh, moving out from academia, suddenly becoming, you know, uh, my, starting an own tech company. It's, it's, it's not a small decision. It's a big decision uh, financially as well as emotionally. So I don't think I would be able to do that uh, without the family support. Uh, my kids, my children have been very supportive. My parents, uh, definitely. And of course, uh, colleagues, okay, and people, collaborators, they have been really, really helpful Whenever I can't solve a problem, so sometimes I would just uh, uh, WhatsApp them, you know, or, or, or just call them, you know, in different time zones in the country sometimes. I, I, I'm very grateful. Well, I'm really grateful that, well, they, they really respond uh, um, promptly and then uh, still answering my call, that's important. <laughs> so, yes, I think, yeah, th those are the people, those are the network and those are the friends and families, I think, uh, uh, they, they, they are they are really the, the people that um, give me the the motivation and also give me the courage the more important thing is to give me the courage to really step out of the comfort zone and try uh, something new so and yeah so far have been quite uh, fruitful I have to say well it's, it's, it's very exciting so taking a different role yes I think without them um, well it would be very very different yeah. Thank you, Chi-On. It was really interesting to talk to you and gaining insight in, in this field that to me is, it's an insight to me, it's new. Although I know about next, gen, next generation sequencing in, when it comes to infectious diseases, but, and, uh, and also in, in cancer and oncology, but knowing that what we have in our own backyard now in Malaysia, it, it gives me immense joy to know that this is available. And um, yeah. <laughs> I'm glad that, you know, we are able to share this and, you know, create more awareness uh, locally and in our region and globally. Thank you for spending your evening with us. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Okay. Bye-bye. To make a suggestion of someone that would make a great guest or topic you would like to hear more about, please visit us at labop.org. That's L-A-B-O-P-P dot -P org.